Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. Remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just taking the glide path instead and talking about 80s music, so give us a break. Yeah. Carrie, hello and welcome. Hello to you, Joe, and welcome to you. And welcome to any new listeners or loyal listeners. We found some in Beeville, Texas, Chevy Chase, Maryland, and Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Hello. Hello to all you and hello to everyone else. Please keep up with us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S and our Twitter, which is at HRT80S. Joe, hmm? how you doing? I'm good. I see there's some things not in tidbits that I thought maybe would be in tidbits. Oh, interesting. Well, Joe, you know what? You're welcome to add anything to tidbits at any time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> What did you think was going to be in there? Well, sometimes I feel like we talk about things and then you're going to put it in there. I guess that's what I mean. Ah, got it. So I see what ranked high in my world, which didn't rank in Carrie's, was Miranda Lambert, the country artist, has a new album coming out this spring. Mm -hmm. And she recorded a song with the B-52s. That is exciting. And Joe, let me just for a moment tell you... This is not because these things are not exciting to me that we discuss throughout the week, because literally, as soon as we talk about something, it immediately leaves my mind. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that was exciting. You sent me something about that. And I was like, wow. I mean, I'm very interested to hear this collaboration. Oh, I know. Yeah. Comes out like mid April, maybe? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. And the press release described their team up as. The Funky Delight meets Credence Clearwater Revival trip down the Cumberland River. I don't know if there's a typo. That seems like (laughs) a little clunky. Whatever gets the B-52s out there and, you know, get people talking about them again, I'm all for. And then especially since they're working with an artist that you and I really like. Yes. Miranda Lambert is great. Uh, She does great stuff. And her album that came out, like, I want to say, like, right before the pandemic. I just can't keep track of time anymore. Yeah, Wild Card. It was great. I really liked it. Yeah, and she just won, I don't know, there's like 800 country music award shows. Mm -hmm. But the one recently, she won Entertainer of the Year. Good for her. She's been doing this for like 20 years almost, you know? It was her first win for that category. Yeah, it's crazy to think that she has been in the game this long. Well, I have one thing that I did put in tidbits. I just wanted to give everyone a quick Rock Hall voting update. And this is, I just realized we're recording this a couple weeks in advance because one of us is going on a trip. So this might be way outdated by the time you hear this, but just so you get a sense of where we're at right now. Duran Duran is still number one in the fan voting. They've got about 600,000 votes. And then Eminem is right behind them. Pat Benatar is in third, but she's only got like 350,000 votes. So I thought that was pretty shocking that Duran Duran and Eminem are outpacing everyone so mightily. Behind uh, Pat, we've got Dolly Parton and the Eurythmics closing out the five that will make the fan ballot at this point. So remember to keep voting every day at vote.rockhall.com. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to get into it then, Joe? I don't know. I'm so excited <laughs> for this. I'm like blown away. 
Well, I felt kind of overwhelmed at times when I was working on the outline this week because we're talking about a whole genre of music. And, you know, that kind of makes me feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm missing this. I'm not talking about this. And, you know, it's very difficult to distill something down to a half hour conversation. Mm -hmm. This is just scratching the surface. But uh, we're going to cover one of my favorite genres of the 80s, and it's power pop. So what is power pop? Well, I've got a collection of essays actually called Go All the Way, A Literary Appreciation of Power Pop. It's edited by two gents named Paul Myers and S.W. Lawden. And this is how Paul Myers kicks off the introduction, which I thought was a good way to start with this. Explaining the meaning of power pop is a little like explaining what love is. You know it when you feel it. But damn if it's not different for everyone who experiences it. That's probably something you could say about every genre of music, (laughs) (laughs) but especially power pop. The term was actually coined by Pete Townsend in 1967 to describe the Who's music. And if you want Wikipedia's definition, it's power pop typically incorporates melodic hooks, vocal harmonies, an energetic performance, and cheerful-sounding music underpinned by a sense of yearning, longing, or despair. It grew mostly out of 60s UK genres like Mersey Beat and bands like The Beatles and The Dave Clark Five are forerunners of power pop. If you want to orient yourself a little bit, some of the classic examples of the genre are Go All the Way by The Raspberries, I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick, and My Sharona by The Knack. So let's talk about some 80s artists and songs of power pop. And we took most of these songs we're going to cover today from an evening that DJ Jake Rude dedicated to power pop on his Twitch channel. We've raved about his show over and over during the pandemic. He's still going strong every Wednesday and Saturday. And he has theme nights like power pop. So check those out. Up first is a song cryptically titled The Beat Goes On slash Switchin' to Glide by The Kings. And I say that about the title because, well, I'll tell you towards the end here. The Kings were a Canadian band that formed in 1977 and recorded their first album in Toronto in early 1980. The album was produced by Bob Ezrin, a producer that had worked with Alice Cooper and Kiss throughout the 70s. The two songs were conceived in the studio together, and the intent was that The Beat Goes On would sink right into Switchin' to Glide. The record company, however, released just Switchin' to Glide as the single. It got some play but didn't really take off until the record company issued a new single that was credited as a double A side of the two songs with the seg in the middle. It debuted on the Hot 100 on August 23, 1980 and spent 23 total weeks on the chart but peaked just a bit outside the top 40 at number 43 on December 13th. 
The Kings released one more album, but then they were dropped by their record label. Uh, what'd you think of this one, Joe? I love it. I mean, this is one I know from The Attic, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think I even had to do research when we did Canadian bands. And I just, I never understood. I would see that title on the catalog all the time, and I never really understood. And I think my confusion is that what I assume is the beat goes on, they say switch into glide, right? Yes, they do. You're right. Mm-hmm. So that part confused me. And then today I had to really listen for the sec. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, it doesn't sound like the two songs should actually go together, but they do. They work for some reason. It's like, do 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 do, and then it's like, getting ready for the weekend yeah, he, or yeah. whatever. He is. has such an interesting cadence to some of those yeah, lines, right? That's true. Yep. Ringing in their ears. Sounds like he's trying to enunciate, like he's doing an elocution class or something. And then the in the first half, he does this like Jerry Lewis impression where he's like, switching to glide, 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 <laughs> glide. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this song. I really like it. You know, I think the thing about Power Pop, it sounds so big. It's like music made to like listen to in headphones and kind of fill your whole perspective <laughs> like all around you. I don't know how else to describe it. And this one is kind of like that, especially like that seg where it sounds like this kind of like big wave of music coming out of somewhere and then transitioning you to the next part. And the catchiness. Every line in this song, and it's pretty long, it's, you know, two freaking songs. Like, <laughs> every line is like, will get stuck in your head, especially after this playlist that you made of these songs. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to think of anything else but these songs for how long? That's true. Very catchy for sure. Well, up next, we've got Senses Working Overtime by XTC. Andy Partridge was a fan of the Beatles growing up in the UK in the 60s. He was actually inspired by the Monkees to teach himself how to play guitar. In the early 70s, he started XTC as a glam band. And then, like many other bands around this time, they got their big break when DJ John Peel saw them live and asked them to appear on his BBC One radio show. That guy was a hit maker. Mm -hmm. They signed to Virgin Records shortly after and recorded their first album in less than two weeks. Their first big hit in the UK was Making Plans for Nigel, which reached number 17 in late 1979. Their fifth studio album, English Settlement, was released in February of 82, and Senses Working Overtime was the first single. It peaked at number 10 in the UK, the group's biggest hit on that chart. During the tour to promote the album, Partridge began to suffer extreme stage fright and walked off stage during a concert in Paris. He rejoined the band two weeks later, and they played their first U.S. date in San Diego. The next morning, he could not get out of bed for a gig at the Hollywood Palladium. XTC essentially became a studio act from then on, never playing extensively live during the rest of their career. They hit the Hot 100 here in the States once with The Mayor of Simpleton, 
which peaked at 72 in 1989, but topped the modern rock chart for five weeks. That's a big hit on the modern rock chart. Yeah, for sure. This is one that's so catchy. It was hard for me not to like sing the one, <laughs> senses two, three, working. Four, right, yes. Senses working over time. It's like got that rhythm where every time you see it, you just hear the little rhythm in your head. <laughs> I'd say this song's unique out of the list because it really like it kind of builds up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't start out. You're kind of like, what's happening? But then once it gets going in the chorus, you're like, here we go. I get it. This fits. Yeah, I would say XTC has like different songs, I guess, that are more power pop. But I don't know anything about them, really. They're kind of one of those bands I always see listed in different places and or you know a bunch of songs by them, but I never really knew much about them. Mm -hmm. I can picture the artwork. You know what I mean? The album covers? Oh, yes. Yep. So colorful. Yeah, but it was very interesting to learn this about Andy Partridge and learn that they basically just never toured. And they also had a lot of problems with their record label and their manager. They were one of those bands that like got taken advantage of in the 80s. And it sure seems like they should have been like way bigger. Mm -hmm. But they had a lot of different things that kind of worked against them. But they seem to be more appreciated now. I think they're definitely beloved and they definitely have a fan contingent that's very Mm -hmm. passionate about them. There was a whole essay in this book about XTC specifically. Where'd you get it? The library? No, I actually ordered it. I couldn't find it anywhere. It's kind of obscure, I guess. I don't know. Well, then I can borrow it. Yes, you can. And you still have my Pointer Sisters book? Yes, I do. Yes. (laughs) Next up, Carrie, the book thief. Listen, don't make me list all the books you have of mine. (laughs) I have Kathy Valentine (laughs) and Richard Marks. And didn't I give you my Gina Gina Shock book, too? Yes. (laughs) So that's three. Fine. (laughs) Next up is a song called She Goes Out With Everybody by the Sponge Tones. The Sponge Tones hailed from Charlotte, North Carolina, and they literally started as a Beatles cover band, a common theme for power poppers. They got their big break when they opened for the Kinks on a Charlotte tour stop, and they released their first album in 1982, which a Rolling Stone review of that time said was like the soundtrack to a party so good it could never happen in real life. She Goes Out With Everybody from that album was called the best Mersey beat song ever written and recorded by an American band by the AV Club. When the Sponge Tones went into Reflection Studios in Charlotte to record their second album in 1984, R.E.M. was recording in the next studio over, and Bill Berry, Peter Buck, and Mike Mills can be heard providing hand claps on the track Shock Therapy. The Sponge Tones have released 10 albums over the years, and they're still playing together off and on in Charlotte. Carrie, I bet you love them just because of the R.E.M. connection. (laughs) I did like that. I thought that was really cute. They're super fun. I mean, this She Goes Out With Everybody definitely does sound like a song straight out of the 60s. It's crazy. (laughs) And you had just mentioned, I don't know if it was here on the station, that if it's like a 60s throwback, you are into it. Yeah. I was like, she is going to love this. But then I thought, (laughs) I don't know, these lyrics. I guess I didn't pay too much attention with the lyrics. I mean, just the title, I was thinking to myself, listen, let's not shame anybody. I liked the vibe a lot. 
I love stories like this, though. There's a lot of different, I think even particularly kind of power pop bands that start out as like little bands in clubs playing covers and then eventually sort of grow into their own thing and then make it big. This band didn't really make it big, but I mean, they released some albums and opened for some big names. So it's just fun to hear that and to hear that they are still together and playing. I really love stories like that. That's crazy. I'd never even heard of the name The Sponge Tones. I know I had not either. And this was one that Jake Rude played and I dug into. And when I yeah, when I learned that about REM, I was very tickled and had to talk about them on the (laughs) podcast. Well, tell me about another song. How about China by Red Rockers? They started out punk and then slowly transformed into more of a power pop sound throughout their six-year career. They relocated from New Orleans to San Francisco when they were signed to the independent record label 415, which had been started by local DJ Howie Klein and was home to big acts like Romeo Void and Translator. Oh, la la. (laughs) China was the first single from their second album, released in 1983. Was in regular rotation on MTV. It peaked at 53 on the Hot 100, but reached number 19 on the rock chart. The group would have one more single reach the rock chart from its next album, but otherwise fractured in the mid 80s. Lead singer John Thomas Griffith founded and still plays with alt rockers Cowboy Mouth. Oh, I've heard of them. Cowboy Mouth is one of those bands that, you know, I've talked about Summerfest before, which is the big music festival here in Milwaukee. And um, Cowboy Mouth is one of those bands that's like always on the lineup, <laughs> like every single year. And it's always kind of like, who are they? But you just happen to see them a handful of times just because you're at Summerfest and you catch them. So I always remember that name and think fondly of them. Did they play China by Red Rockers? Not that I remember. <laughs> Carrie, if they're the Red Rockers, then who is Sammy Hagar? Yeah, very good question. I wonder where Sammy Hagar got that name from. Well, I called him, you know, on the station, I've called him the Red Rocker. And then I saw this band. I'm like, oh, shit, have I had it no, wrong all this no, time? No, he definitely has that nickname. That's why That's I'm weird. wondering where it came from and how they right. came up to it. But China is a song that you might not know the name of it, but you've heard it. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you hear it everywhere. The intro to it. I love it. It sounds so clean. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word to describe it, but it's like so precise. And I'm like, you know what it reminds me of is that band War on Drugs that I told you about oh, or yes. like yeah. John Mayer's like Sob Rock where these people mm-hmm. are trying to sound 80s. I think this is what they're aiming for. Yes. The intro kind of reminds me of More Than This by Roxy Music. Mm-hmm. And speaking of contemporary acts that play this genre, there's a new album out by an artist called Young Gov, G-U-V. So I've seen that name a lot, and I always thought it was a rapper. But it's a guy, and he makes these power pop, like throwback, like jangle pop, you know, 80s and 90s. And it's really good. This album just came out 
So on Stereo Gum, the guy who writes the number one columns that we love, he raved about this album. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard about this at all. And now I'm super excited. I am going to send you the link. And then it's so funny because I've been listening to it. And I'm like, this music that just came out, I'm like, it fits right into this playlist. I've been studying for Power Pop. I thought it was just such a weird coincidence. Well, everything comes around again, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Up next is the song Chamber of Hellos by Wire Train. Four students at San Francisco University got together to form Wire Train in 1983, and they also signed to 415 Records. Their debut album, In a Chamber, came out in early 1984 and was a hit on college radio. It was produced by David Kahn, who also produced the Red Rockers album, and around this time he was also working on the Bengals' debut album. Chamber of Hellos exemplifies the atmospheric psychedelia of the album. They opened for Big Country on a tour, and Bono called In a Chamber his favorite album of the year. They went through a number of lineup changes before breaking up in the early 90s. Three-fourths of the band's final lineup ended up backing Sheryl Crow on her debut album. Now that's intriguing. (laughs) I love that album. I know. We've talked about it many times. I love it too. It's a good album. Oh, yeah, right. Don't do me any favors. (laughs) I like Sheryl Crow's music. I have a problem with Sheryl Crow. There's some very strange stuff in her past, um, including around her debut album. Yeah, they came back and they wanted credit. She made it seem like these songs were all her creation. And they were like, we have been collaborating literally. Like, that's what this is about. Yeah. I mean, that's where the name came from, like Tuesday Night Music Club. Like, she would write with people and then, I guess, tried to kind of steal all these songs. Anyways, enough about Sheryl Crow. <laughs> Wire Train. I love this. I don't know if I've ever heard of Wire Train before, but I love this song. And yesterday, Joe, you know this already, but I went on a little excursion to the record store, which I really should not be allowed to do because I came out with, I think, about 20 to 25 records. But two that I found were... The Red Rockers album we just talked about, and In a Chamber by Wire Train. Did it have like a little inlay of like Bono in the bottom corner, like <laughs> best album I've heard this year? It should, it should for sure. But um, yeah, I'm super excited to spin this whole album. I'm really excited too for you. That's yeah. awesome. It's just like what you just said about the artists that you were listening to. It's like one of those things where it's like you hear a name for the first time and then suddenly you keep seeing things about right. that group or that yeah. person and you're like, how did I never hear of them before? So I was very tickled when I um, pulled both of these records out of the bins. I don't know how much you paid for these records. The most that I paid, besides for the Taylor Swift one, right. <laughs> was, um, I think, $6. Most of these were 3 or $4. That's a good price. You got the Hooters, your favorite. Yep, I got the You Hooters. got Skirty Politi that I'm jealous of. Robert Palmer, Looking for Clues, or is it just called Clues? The album is just called Clues. Okay, I just found that one too. Did you know that? 
Maybe you you showed it to me, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Thomas Dolby, you were excited about too. Yeah, I got so many good ones. And there was even more that I like forced myself to put back. But yeah, so I had a great day uh, shopping for records yesterday. And I'm going to spin Wire Train this afternoon. Awesome. All right, Joe, we are going to close out this look at Power Pop by talking about the Shivers from good old Milwaukee. Wow. I learned about this group from another one of the essays in Go All the Way. And that essay by John Borak is about the women of Power Pop. The Shivers were led by Jill Kosoris. In high school, she won a radio station concert that led to the Raspberries playing a live concert at her school. How cool is that? She has her own definition of power pop, and it's this. It's powerful in every sense of the term, but not necessarily in volume. It's emotionally powerful, romantically powerful, lyrically powerful, and melodically powerful. The pop side comes from the craftsmanship of the songs. They're generally well-constructed with no wasted space or downtime, and every note and word counts towards the whole for maximum impact. I like that. Yeah, that's good. The Shivers released one single called Teen Line in 1980. Eric Carmen of the Raspberries was actually a fan of the group and wanted to produce their debut album, but Kosoris soon suffered some health problems and the band just couldn't keep it together. Years later, in 2014, some of their recordings were collected and released as an album finally, including a song called No Reaction, which was described in the liner notes as Mersey Beat meets Blondie on Speed. I really loved finding out about this group from Milwaukee and uh, hearing the song Teen Line, which I thought was super fun. Cute. I loved it. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yay. Female vocalist, yay. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had highlighted some more of the groups from that essay. But, you know, groups like the Bangles, they were definitely power pop in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Even the Go-Go's kind of a little bit mm-hmm. power pop. There's tons of great female acts that are power pop as well. I'd love to hear about local bands like this. You know, we talked about the Sponge Tones coming out of Charlotte. Well, the Shivers didn't even seem to make it that big. Like, they never even recorded an album, but they still are known and people talk about them. And that's really cool. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Joe, so Power Pop overall, what are your thoughts? Five stars out of five. I love it. (laughs) I know it was fun. You know, we should talk a little bit about, we watched that night together. Well, not together, but we were both watching Jake Rude's Power Pop Night. And there was a lot of early 90s bands that do Power Pop right. really well, including, remember the one that you were like- Jellyfish. Obsessed with, yeah. <laughs> I'm still obsessed. I've been listening to their full albums. I love them. This is classic stuff that it never goes out of style. I love the word jangly to describe this music. I think that's perfect. 
and it just scratches something in my heart. Well, I think that we would hopefully have enough to do a part two sometime, right? Yes, for sure. Awesome. Carrie, we're going to move on to the second segment of today's show. And it's a segment that Dion likes to call. That's what friends are for. Dion and friends, that is. <laughs> this segment highlights famous acts helping out their buddies. And this week we'll be talking about Helen Terry. She met Boy George in a London club in the early 80s and became one of Culture Club's backing vocalists. You can hear her on such classic songs as Church of the Poison Mind. Is she like the one female voice that stands out? Yes. She's wow. the one like singing like, In the church of the poison Oh, mind. wow. Get it, sis. <laughs> I think I've even heard Casey shout out her name, like on a countdown. Probably. But I had no idea who it was. She also frequently appeared in videos with the group. She's playing the tambourine in the video for Church of the Poison Mind. In 1984, she wrote a song with George and Culture Club guitarist Roy Hay called Love Lies Lost, which was released as a single. song peaked at number 34 in the UK. In 1985, she sang backing vocals alongside Sting and Peter Gabriel on Phil Collins' Take Me Home. My gosh, another That's What <laughs> Friends Are For yeah. within one. And then in 1986, recorded a full-length album that had a couple more songs co-written with George and Roy. The album was a flop, however, and after her record company wanted her second album to be more dance-oriented, she decided to get out of the solo game. She continued to sing backing vocals for George during his solo career, but the two had a falling out after George implied in his autobiography that she was the one that got him hooked on drugs. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These days, she works in TV and produces the Brit Awards which are a big Jeez. music award show in the UK. Church of the Poison Mind, that song is her. It might as well yes. be a duet, you know? <laughs> it should be credited Culture Club featuring <laughs> Helen Terry. Right. But I never knew her name either. Mm-mm. I remember when we talked about Take Me Home at some point seeing, you know, Sting, Peter Gabriel, and then Helen Terry and thinking to myself, well, who's that? She had some big things that she did, but this solo song was not it <laughs> for me. It's not a song. It doesn't serve her voice very well, I don't think. She sounds like breathless during it. She's trying to catch up on those lines where it's, you know, she speeds up. I'm like, there's just something off about yeah. it. And then the music, too, is just a little chintzy where I'm like, I see what they're trying to do, but it sounds so canned. Yeah, it didn't have a whole lot of feeling to it. I think I was reading like the whole album was kind of like inspired by Motown or Old Soul. And you can hear she definitely has the voice for that. But they didn't really capture the vibe very well if that's what they were going for. 
Right. If this was on the first album and they asked her to do a second album and switch it up and she was like, no, I want to keep doing this. (laughs) I don't know, man. Right. Yeah. You know, I think if you read between the lines, it just kind of seems like she was happy to kind of be in the background. Maybe she didn't want to be the front person. I don't know how to say this without sounding rude. I wonder where you're going. (laughs) I mean, she just didn't fit in with what all the other female singers of that time looked like, I guess is what I'll say. She's not a Kim Wilde. She's not a Samantha Fox. She had an unusual haircut. Yes. She had an unusual haircut. She was a little bit of a bigger lady. So maybe part of it, too, was that they didn't really know how to sell her. I think she probably did fine on that arena. I noticed that a comment on the video you (laughs) sent me on YouTube from a user called Addicted to the 80s wrote, I'm bisexual and female, and I have a mad crush on Helen Terry. (laughs) All right. Well. Or she's got one big fan, I guess. (laughs) I do think, though, I would have loved to gone out with her and Boy George for a night clubbing. I don't know. Your life would have turned out way different, it sounds like. Who knows? I couldn't find confirmation. Wikipedia says that they have made up since. Well, who knows what the truth is, but maybe she didn't want that out there. You better write kind things about me in your autobiography one day. I'll update the passage that I've already got written. Sounds good. Anything else you want to bring up at the end of the show here? Um, hmm, no. <laughs> okay. It was a short one this week. Just like Power Pop yeah, I know. songs are short, so the segment is short. Very true. Well, next week we are going to be covering obscure soundtrack songs. Get ready for that. Got some real obscure ones. <laughs> including a special request from Joe from a very obscure and crazy movie. Did you finish it last night? I did not finish. Are you going to finish it tonight? Yes, I will finish it tonight. And you're watching it on YouTube? Yes. How's the quality? It's good, actually. What? Yeah. You know what? Since you're watching it, I'll rewatch it. You said you just watched it like a month ago. I would not No, I said when my sister was here, and that was last May. Oh, I thought it was more recent than that. All right, folks. I'm sure you're dying to know what that's all about, so you got to tune in next week. Carrie, you can take it out, too. I will. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you, our loyal listeners. And please be kind. Be kind to others, be kind to the world, but most importantly, be kind to yourself. Yes. And uh, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.